Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We're talking burritos and chips, but you might not want them both on your dish together. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined over the airwaves by Motley Fool analyst Tim Byers. Tim, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Dylan. Fully caffeinated, ready to go. Love it. We've got a look at the entertainment world and big results and big reactions from company earnings. And that's where we're going to kick things off with ASML. Tim, the linchpin of the chip industry and Europe's largest tech company posted 9% bottom line growth and 30% top line growth for the quarter, sent shares up 10% this week after earnings. Seems like it's a pretty good time to be in the semiconductor business. Well, let's not say that. I wouldn't go that far, but I would say it's a better time. And it does look like things are turning, turning for for the better. So let's just point out that ASML did have some really good results in the business that really will drive results for the longest period of time, which is the EUV business. This is the more advanced chip making business. So when we're talking about lithography, which is what ASML does. And they are the provider of EUV, which is the most advanced form of lithography for making the smallest and most advanced chips. Right, so this is where we're talking about doing really advanced chip manufacturing here. So in that part of the business, the EUV lithography was up 30% to 9.1 billion euro sold or I guess I should say recognized revenue on 53 systems. So, a big deal. But they also shipped, and this is interesting, they shipped the first modules of what they call a high NA EUV system, and they're shipping it to Intel. So, watch out for the Intel results tomorrow. This is going to be really interesting to see where we are at here, because one of the rules of chip making Dylan, is that we are always looking for the next generation. We're always looking for how to make a more functional, smaller chipset. This looks like the next step. It's the step change that takes us into the next era of, of chip making here. So, what does this mean for Intel's foundry plans? Hopefully, we find out more tomorrow. But the fact that this is happening, that at the highest levels, ASML is selling with a, a, a high degree of growth. Its most advanced uh, lithography machines is a very good sign. Now, on top of that, they had their more, I, I would say, somewhat lower tier, but sort of the kind of the workmanlike chips that are made with DUV systems. Those are greater than seven nanometers, so they're a little bit bigger. But it's the kind of chipsets that you're going to find in industrial equipment. So this is like these are the workmanlike chips. They are everywhere. We do we have more of them in industrial equipment every single year. So it's a better time to be in the chip making business. 
up and down the supply chain, which is nice to see. That that wasn't really the case about 18 months ago. You mentioned Intel's reporting later this week. We'll have a fuller picture of the chip business and industry when they get results in. But we have results from Taiwan Semiconductor in addition to ASML. And I want to kind of put those two together and look at some of the different spots in the supply chain because we saw what looked like some strong outlook and expectations from Taiwan Semi when they reported. Taiwan Semi is ASML's biggest customer. We're seeing more moderate growth expectations in the commentary from ASML's management. Yeah, and I, to, to me, I just think that is prudence, and I'm okay with that. I, I don't think it's, it's bad. What I think they're saying is, we're seeing a recovery here. But we're going to be we're going to be cautiously optimistic, and that's ultimately a good thing here because there's we we don't know what the long tail demand of you know let's say really advanced hardware for AI workloads we don't know how long that tail is. So do you want to be cautious, especially when you make a product that takes a long time to build and a long time to sell? Yes, I would like you to be cautious. That's a smart thing to to be. In the case of Taiwan Semiconductor, there so you have kind of the way the supply chain works here, Dylan, you have the most advanced equipment and ASML does not sell very many of these cuz they are super super expensive, these EUV machines. And so in order for Taiwan Semiconductor or any foundry provider, and a foundry is a chip making factory, for them to order one of these machines, they need to have a really big backlog of of orders that they need to have in, in place, or the expectation of a really big backlog of orders that they need to be able to rely on in order to say, like, okay, we need these machines in order to satisfy that demand. So there's a little bit of chicken and egg going on here. But in this particular case, before ASML is going to invest a huge amount of R&D and a huge amount of manufacturing capacity to build a machine that costs just huge amounts of money, they need to be relatively assured that the demand is there and that the demand is not just you know the next six months, the demand is multi-year. So, I don't blame them for being prudent. All right, Tim, we're going to stick with the earnings beat and look at some updated results from Netflix. Uh, on yesterday's show, our colleague Ricky Mulvey and Bill Mann, they, they discussed Netflix and they got into the $5 billion deal with WWE. The week of good news continues for the streamer. Shares up 10% following earnings. We saw some strong top line growth. We saw even stronger bottom line growth. But the headlines and everything I saw covering this earnings, Tim, was the subscriber count. That seemed to be what everyone was zooming in on here. It's understandable. I mean, it's it what tripled year over year. So if I look at this here, you know, Dylan, if we take a look at the overall number from Q4 of 2022, the the number of global streaming paid editions. I'm sorry, it didn't it, it, it didn't quite double. So. Paid net editions Q4 of 2022 7.66 million. For Q4 of 23, 13.12 million. And so that's a huge number. That's not quite a double, but it is a massive, massive increase, uh, up 12.8% year over year. So you can understand why that's an area of focus. I would caution that 
some of that is likely to be some maybe password cheaters coming into the fold and paying a little bit. And you know what? So that that there may be a little bit of an artificial bump there, but I, I don't mind that. I mean, they've tried to create a scenario whereby those who want Netflix and they want to get it and they have to pay a little bit, but not a lot, you know, because previously they were sharing passwords. I think that gives them, you know, I'm not gonna say goodwill, it gives them a little incremental income. And it satisfies somebody who's like, yeah, okay, you got me. I still want it, but I'm not going to pay the full, you know, the full freight. Give me something that I can live with. They've got that, and so now the net additions are are rising as a result. I don't think that should be the headline number, though, Dylan. What should it be? What should people be paying attention to? It should be 26.2. 26.2 should be your number because that is the Q1 2024 forecast for operating margin. Let me just say that again. 26.2% is your forecasted operating margin for the next quarter. That is bonkers when so many of the streamers are having trouble even making one cent of profit that Netflix can tell you that pre-tax, we think we can make 26 cents on every dollar of streaming revenue in the first quarter. That is astounding. They are so far ahead of everybody else. Also, for their full year guidance for 2024, they raised their operating margin guidance for the full year to 24%. So, they're going to get off to a great start in the first quarter. They're going to see, presumably, some dips here and there during the year, but end on 24%. That's astounding. Dylan, and they also ended the year with close to $7 billion in, in free cash flow. So, I can understand why this stock is soaring at present. This is by far the most efficient business in the streaming industry. And let's be clear, it ain't close. There is no one even remotely in the same ballpark as net. I will make that statement. No one is close. No one. So, Tim, the story with this company has been for a while growth, growth, growth. And then over the last couple of years, we've had to moderate a little bit more and focus more on things like our margins and free cash flow, which also came in incredibly strong this quarter. It seems like this is something where the company is kind of having its cake and eating it too with these results. We're seeing strong enough subscriber growth and we're seeing a lot of the efficiency elements that we want to be seeing with this business. I think that's right. I also think it's a good study in effective capital allocation in in entertainment. The two things. So Netflix's core advantage, which I've I think I've said to you before, Dylan, is, and something that they have that others do not have is they have a direct relationship with hundreds of millions of subscribers around the world. They are a essentially a streaming TV service that has direct access to and control over subscriber accounts across the world in 190 countries. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can claim that. The reason these streaming services came to be in the first place is to try to get that. The way the entertainment business has historically worked is you have the country that you're in, and then you rely on distribution in other countries for local distributors. And it's been really disaggregated. That's the way the entertainment business has always worked. Netflix really disrupted that. And as a consequence of that, they get the ability to 
experiment with a lot of different types of content in each of those localities directly with their subscribers, make a lot of small bets with small amounts of capital, and then allow a hit that may be something in like South Korea, Squid Game, and it becomes a global phenomenon. And so they get huge returns on a small amount of capital. I don't think we're seeing that in in the other streaming businesses. And it's one of the ways I can explain how good Netflix is at squeezing margin out of the same business, the energy streaming entertainment business. They spend a, a lot, but on a lot of projects. And so when one hits, it can have a really outsized impact on the business, and they get huge economies of scale from that. All right, Tim, that's uh, that's going to wrap our earnings beat. And while it might be earnings season right now, Chipotle, not so focused on earnings season, more focused on burrito season. It's burrito um, season. Come on. <laughs> news out that Chipotle is looking to hire 19,000 workers to meet the demands of peak burrito, which I didn't know is between March and May. And when it comes to the job market, most of the stories that we've been seeing have been about layoffs. Do you take this as a sign that Chipotle is expecting the good times to continue to roll? I have no idea, but I know they're expecting to roll a lot of burritos. <laughs> and I know I want to see peak burrito t-shirts being sold at Chipotle, that's for sure. I think this is bonkers. It's it's really interesting that they are hiring as many people as they are. And I think they do have an opportunity in particular, to serve customers as it gets warm, people get out. They like to, you know, just experience, you know, dining out again. Because when you are, you know, in the in the house, you know, during the winter. And let's be clear. I mean, this has been. We've had some snowmageddon around the country. People have been holed up a bit. We've had some some. Arctic frost blowing across the country. I know we've had it here in Denver. So I think we are looking forward to things warming up a little bit, maybe getting out and enjoying a burrito as well. Who knows if this is the good times continue to roll here, but Chipotle has been executing quite well. So if they're looking to hire 19,000 employees here, it makes me, at worst, Dylan, it makes me really curious to see. What the results are going to be in in the next quarter here, because clearly they have found something that they can hang their hat on. So let's see it. I mean, roll me some burritos. I love it. I will happily share a Chipotle burrito with you out in Colorado if we ever get the chance to make that happen, Tim. Uh, in the meantime, I appreciate you jumping on today's show and walking through this with me. Thanks, Dylan. Ricky Malvi with Motley Full Money here to tell you about a vehicle that is redefining sporting luxury, the Range Rover Sport. The first thing I noticed when I sat down in the driver's seat is that I felt like I was in a cockpit. You're up off the ground in a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. I also really appreciated the overhead 360-degree camera view that let me know exactly where I was going as I was backing out of the parking space. I went for a drive in the Range Rover Sport out in Littleton, Colorado, and tested the accelerator just a little bit and felt the performance and agility. It's an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. To put it plainly, the Range Rover Sport is powerful. It's also quiet and comfortable, 
Advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable yet. I'd like to invite you to visit LandRoverUSA.com to learn more about the Range Rover Sport. Coming up, when's the last time you went out on a weeknight? A new stay-at-home trend is hitting some of the entertainment companies, and Motley Fool Money's Ricky Mulvey caught up with Fool contributor Rick Minares to talk about one arcade company that's trying to reverse a sales decline. So, Rick, I saw this article in the Wall Street Journal, and I thought of you. The title is, Americans are ditching weeknight fun. Can they be tempted back? So, first question, do you think this is concern trolling, or is this a legit problem for for the, we'll call them, entertainment companies like Dave & Buster's, Topgolf, and Bolero? Yeah, I think in the near term, yes, uh, it is a legit concern. I mean, the numbers are there. Uh, we're seeing some companies sort of saying, hey, our business isn't as good as it was a year ago. Uh, and it's a lot pointing to what's happening in the middle of the week. And uh, the, the longer answer is about, can they be tempted back? Yes, I think that can happen, but I don't think it's going to happen immediately. But I think you sort of see what's happening here. It makes sense uh, when it all comes down together that uh, in the pandemic, the pandemic was scary. It was awful. It was brutal. But it also uh, was a time when a lot of us were stuck at home and we needed to get out. I don't know that situation because I've been basically contributing remotely to the full since 1995. So I've been sheltering in place for almost 30 years. So to me, this was something that when the pandemic came, uh, it was it was awful, obviously. But the fact that my wife and my kids were like, "Oh, what's 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 we need something to do?" I'm like, "Well, this is this is a Tuesday for me. This is typical. Uh, don't worry." Uh, in the old days, when I was the only one working at home and and everyone else on the planet was working in an office or going to school, I was like a little puppy. Uh, when, when when my wife would come back from work, when my kids would come back as well, you know, <laughs> where do we go? Where do we go? And in a sense, they were like, no, we're tired. And you're sort of seeing the numbers here play out. You're seeing Roku, uh, just to bring out a name. People are still streaming almost four hours in content, even though now they have the ability to go out. They still want to go home and relax. And we're seeing this happen. And it's coming at the expense of all these fun places to go, especially in the middle of the week when people are coming back home from work, they're tired, uh, they may be pressed for cash, whether it's because they had student loans that now started resume paying, uh, payments or just that they're just trying to save money for whatever the case may be in this climate of rising rates uh, until recently. I, I do think that it is it is valid, it is a concern, but I think it is a near-term concern. Yeah, so so the article focuses on, on what you said where people were working from home, now you're hybrid a couple of times a week, so you're a little more tired, maybe you're kids are going have more after school activities and so the companies are busting out the weeknight promotions so dave and busters brought back all you can eat wings on mondays and thursdays top golf is experimenting with some additional midweek discounts they already do half off golf on tuesdays and bolero the the fancy bowling chain offers unlimited late night bowling during the middle of the week half priced arcade games on wednesdays i've been a big fan of going out during the week Lightly, because that's that's when you get some of the deals. And and while we're talking about sort of these maybe anecdotal examples, it seems like these companies would constantly be monkeying with with different promotions. You know, happy hour doesn't necessarily mean that people are um, 
or spending less money. So, do you think these promotions are signaling anything significant about these companies? They get the data faster than we do as consumers, yep. uh, and I think you get to the case where uh, with Top Golf, once they started doing half off golf on Tuesdays, who is going to go to a Top Golf on a Monday or a Wednesday? And sure enough, they said Monday, Wednesday, Thursdays are now their worst days. Uh, they need something. They need to do something about that uh, to get people back in there. Of course, it makes sense. And we are at a time, thankfully for them, that it is very easy to reach your customers. You have loyalty programs like Dave and Buster's have. You have the internet. You have Instagram. You have all these outlets to reach to them, it's no longer having, oh, we need to cut a commercial spot. We need to have a radio ad. We need to talk the group on about getting a deal out there. These tools are there for them to change things on the fly. And I think they have to. They have to think creatively at a time when People are now no longer. It's no longer cabin fever. It's no now. It's like cabin, you know, desire, appreciation. I'm glad to be back at home at the end of the day. I want to rest and relax. And I think you're you're seeing that happen. Even Toast to bring in another company. Uh, they they are the leader leader of payments on restaurants in their latest quarter. Uh, and they said that transactions per revenue are trending lower in the holiday quarter. And this is a company with 99,000 restaurants. So it's a great sample size of what's happening out there. That people are spending less, especially in the middle of the week. It's also, I think, a consumer debt story where you're seeing credit card balances go go up higher. And I'll focus on Dave and Buster's for a second because you know it's it's fighting off that post-pandemic hangover. People are tired of going out. If you have a higher credit card balance, that's a pretty easy trip to cut if the kids are bored at home. Maybe, you know, maybe we're not gonna go to Dave and Buster's this week, even if they have a great discount. But it's also, you know, you could make the lipstick effect argument, which is that, hey, maybe we're not gonna go to a professional sporting event. That's too expensive, but we're gonna meet you in the middle and go to something like Dave and Buster's. Which might be a little bit cheaper for for a weeknight activity, so we'll start with the macro. I mean, what do you think of David Buster's as a consumer spending indicator? Does it say anything? I think it's fair, uh, and again, I don't think this is the same as red lipsticks during the wartime. I, I think this is more <laughs> this is more of an issue, Ricky. Where if the economy is contracting, if you have more bills to pay, you're not going to trade down to a Dave and Buster's experience. I think it is the kind of thing where uh, you will have a case; they will suffer. You're seeing this happen at the restaurant level. You're, you're seeing this happen at Top Golf when they're not discounting at half price on Tuesdays in the middle of the week. You, we, people will c- cut back. I think it's understandable. Um, I can't open up my Groupon app without a Bolero ad deal showing. So I do think that that is the kind of situation where it's legit. I don't think people are, are you know, it's not a matter of, of, of finding the middle ground. I do think that uh, it's real. And I think you're seeing with Dave and Buster's, I think it's important as an investor, uh, their latest quarter, their comps were down 6%. And you see that and you think, oh, the business is declining, but it's still 8% above where it was in 2019, the last pre-pandemic year. So, business has improved. It was just a, a bananas uh, 2021 and 2022, and, and to a certain extent, the beginning of 2023 for Dave & Buster's, and now that part is stabilizing. But as long as it's normalizing, their operating margins are 390% above, uh, basis points higher uh, than it was in 2019. I think Dave & Buster's is definitely in a better place now than it was in 2019. I think it's just a matter of just building from this point now, which is a better baseline than it was last year. Yeah, I think one of the issues for, for these companies, especially when you're doing those promotions, like you mentioned with, with Groupon and Bolero, is the longer you do that, the longer you set the expectation where someone's going to come in and get a deal. You've seen that happen to retailers in the past, where nobody, if, 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 if your customers come in and nobody's expecting to pay full price, that becomes a problem three, five, ten years down the road. We'll focus on Dave and Buster's in part because I think if you want to teach anybody about Peter Lynch style investing, this isn't the worst place to get them interested in doing so. 
Chris Morris came in as CEO in 2022. We got a turnaround plan because every time a CEO comes in, you got to have a turnaround plan. And in this case, there's basically there's three options. We got to go with three, Rick. One is remodeling the arcades. Number two is changing up the food and drink menu. So you got more snackable options. Number three is growing the special events business. The market seems to be buying this story. You mentioned the pre-pandemic comps. And I know you follow this company. What do you think of his his story for the Dave & Buster's turnaround? Yeah, yeah. So real quickly, uh, Chris Morris. Uh, I know he's new to Dave and Buster's, but he's not new to this market. So the reason he became CEO was in 2022. Dave and Buster's bought a company called Main Event, and Dave and Buster's have 160 locations. Main Event is much smaller, about 50 locations, but sort of the same concept, where it's 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 quality uh, sit down dining and all these fun at arcade games and other uh, you know things you can entertain yourself with. Uh, so he was a natural to come in and say, "Hey, we want you to be the new CEO." It's almost an aqua hire, and they're also gaining new locations. And again, in Chris Morris's case, he was also uh, he was a CEO. Uh, he was a president of California Pizza Kitchen before that. He was even the CFO of uh, CEC Entertainment, which is Chuck E. Cheese. And if you always consider Dave Buster's is a Chuck E. Cheese for adults, he was running the Dave and Buster's for kids already as a CFO. So he has that experience. I think it's the right approach, especially when you're dealing with entertainment and something you have to be vibrant. You can't stand still. I think you're seeing this, uh, and, and just in fact, remodeling that whole million dollar. Midway, which is such a big part of the experience, and the fact that again, I haven't been to Dave Buster's in about two years. Uh, not for lack of love of the place, it's that the, the nearest one near me uh, is no longer near me as I moved away. But I, I do. Uh, it, it has always been a place where you can go and get a quality meal. But again, it is kind of like the sit-down experience. The fact that they've trimmed down the menu so you can get more stuff all over the place is definitely something to look forward to. But yeah, and, and special events business that was was really hard for them to come around in 20, 2021. People were dying to come back in, but businesses weren't ready to have functions. Uh, you weren't ready to have birthday parties and, and other kind of like anniversaries and all these other bachelor parties happening there anytime soon. That's a big part of their market. Um, they tend to have these big rooms reserved for these special events, too. And I think that's going to be harder to come by if the economy goes south. But I think it's really a, a fact that the fact that he's tweaking things and business is better than it was in 2019, better than it was before he got there, I do think that he's on the right path. So, so one, I got a couple knocks on on the business in, in yes. the story, and and this is this continues the Peter Lynch theme. So you've taken your kids to the arcade, they've played the life size Rock'em Sock'em robots, they've they've done the racing games. Now it's time to talk about sale leasebacks and um, share buybacks. So Morris has aggressively been buying back shares. I think taking uh, taking out about eighteen percent of the existing share count in fiscal twenty twenty three. The business is profitable, and yet he's doing some sale leasebacks, which is where you sell your real estate to basically a real estate investment trust or a bank, and then you're just leasing the building for, for forever. So you get some immediate cash, you get that little sugar, but then you've got a long-term debt problem, which which I would I would give those as knocks against the business. Right, so I'm gonna look, I'm gonna approach it a little differently. First of all, I look at a, at a buyback as a great thing, even when your stock is hitting recent highs and doing really well, as Dave and Buster's stock did in 2023. I, I do think that this is the company signaling, hey, we know our stock is high, but we think it's gonna be even higher. That's why we're buying back now. And obviously, from a company that's profitable as they are, the fact that you're buying back shares increases earnings per share uh, rather than the money that they'd be earning off it. So I do think this is a smart move on their part. Sale leaseback, I'm torn. Uh, I, I know a lot of quality companies do this. It's a way to generate cash flow and use that money to expand. And they are expanding. Uh, they are growing. They're all these things that you were talking about: remodeling the arcades, uh, changing up their menus, building up the special events business. These things cost money, and I think it's important for them to create the flexibility to be. Um, 
asset light, so to speak, uh, even if it means that they're paying more in rent to maintain the place. I'm not necessarily an, an, uh, you know, an, against a sale leaseback uh, environment, especially if we are at this point where it looks like interest rates will start heading lower, where I think it'd be a more convenient terms for them. As always, people on the program may own stocks mentioned, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.